Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hello and welcome you guys. This is Sarah. And this is Katie. And we are your local evil Satan robot bitches here to bring you everything ex-Mormon related. (laughs) And you forgot, we are also two chubby spinsters as well. And, yes, and we are bitter. (laughs) We're so bitter, we can't leave it alone. We just think about how miserable we are all day long. And that's our club. And we're so glad you're joining us. Um, we have a new member on Patreon, Lori. Hello, Lori. Thank you so Lori. much for joining us. Um, Welcome, Lori. Welcome to the club of bitterness. We, we are <laughs> cynical and we're, you know, whatever. It's good that you're here, I guess. But like, there's no, there's no sweetness involved at all. <laughs> it's all bitter, really. All bitter. Um, we do nothing of good. <laughs> But yeah, thank you, Lori. Um, We actually just recorded a little bonus episode for Patreon right before we recorded this. So um, that'll be uploaded in a few days. So if any of you want to join us over there, the URL is patreon.com slash not so Molly Mormon. And you guys, it's a little teaser. It's a real good drunk story from both me and Katie that happened mine happened just a few days ago Katie's was a few years ago but still still a gym and a treat Um, oh it was filled with giggles even though we're even even though we're bitter and sad even though we're bitter and sad (laughs) it's filled with so many giggles that will be spilling on to this episode. So you're welcome also to those haters who have left us reviews saying all they do is giggle and say, like, totally. Um, you're oh right. Because like, that's totally. what we're going to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, I have a little announcement, a little shout out. <laughs> um, so this past weekend, I went on a little road trip to a lake. And I get in the car with my friend, and you guys, she turns on the car, and the little screen in the front, it shows top listen things, and it's our podcast is her oh. number one. So thank you, Karen, our number one listener. She Karen. has it in her car, you guys. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I remember when um, Karen was on our show, and she was excited because she was getting a car. And so that's cool. I mean, especially in Europe, right? It's like, yeah, it's a big deal. Like, I'm sure all of our American listeners are like, cool story. You were in a car (laughs) at the weekend. But literally none of my friends have cars in Berlin, except for Karen's. We're all like, oh, my God, road trip every weekend. (laughs) We can go all the places. I know. It gets me so excited. So that was cool. And I have to give them a shout out because also Allie, who's been on the show, They went to the Black Forest this week, and they were listening to our latest episode and messaged about it. So shout out to them because they're still together, and I'm sure they'll, oh, I hope, I assume, they'll be listening to this episode tomorrow. And final little shout out, colleagues have new, well, they're not new. I've started this job for like, it's been like seven months, but uh, they started listening to the podcast, and it was so Cute. Aww. I have to admit, on Monday morning in our normal little stand-up, Lewis, I'm giving you a shout-out. 
he was like, I felt like I spent the whole weekend with Sarah because I binge listened the first three episodes, which y'all know are like an hour and a half. Those are long ones. Yeah, not like some of them are like an hour and 40 minutes. So he listened to them the whole weekend and I was just so happy. So thank you, Lewis. I hope you keep listening to them. So it just warms my heart, obviously, having our little community and all of you who we haven't met in person, but we feel like we're best friends with you. And then we also have our actual people that we've met in person and it doesn't sound as creepy. Um, who support us as well. So thanks to everyone. We feel so loved and we do. It's so great. All right. Are you ready for our episode today? Oh my God. I'm so ready. You guys, (laughs) I'm so ready. Katie has been researching, of course, because she's a queen and a badass bitch. And (laughs) I, you guys know I'm obsessed with fucking true crime. I'm obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. And I don't even know what she has in store for us, you guys. I have no idea. She didn't give me any clues. I wasn't allowed to ask any questions. Nope. I already peed right before this, so I don't piss myself in case I get A, too excited, or B, too scared, or C, combine of the two of them, that English. I may even fart with excitement because I'm quite gassy, and I am just, like, clenching my cheeks together in excitement. So, Katie. Take it away. I'm so excited. I told Sarah not to research or look up anything about this because I've been obsessed with this story. And so this whole week, I've just been immersed in this. So before I begin, I want to just have a little disclaimer. Well, a few of them. First of all, obviously, we're just going to be talking about this for entertainment purposes. I'm not like a lawyer or anything. (laughs) What? Yeah, I know. That's a surprise, right? I'm not a lawyer or a historian. I mean, I know you thought I was. Um, I do. In my mind, you still are. (laughs) Also, there's might be some, um, I'll just say some graphic and uh, criminal things and some like kind of explicit stuff. But also you're listening to our podcast. So like, you probably don't have it on around little children. So there's that. But just in case, maybe if you have like trigger warning, like, yeah, it's, it's it, maybe a bit more sense. It's true crime, you guys. Come yeah, on. it's true crime. So there's violence and there's, um, I'll just say graphic sexual content as well. Oh, so, shit. okay. The story I'm going to tell today is the story of Jody Arias, and Travis Alexander. Oh my God, I've never even heard of this. Don't even know who they are. I'm so happy you haven't heard about it. Okay, so Travis Alexander was born July 28th, 1977. Hey, is it July 28th today? Oh, that was yesterday. Oh my God, that would have been so good. That's crazy, right? Let's just pretend it is. Guys, no, it's July 28th today. We recorded the same day he was born. Yes. Um, so Travis had a pretty rough early childhood. Both of his parents were drug addicts and his father was pretty much absent and his mother was usually high on meth and couldn't care for him or his seven siblings. So seven, seven, that's crazy, right? Like even by Mormon standards, I feel like that's a lot. Um, they, they weren't Mormon though. Um, 
as a young child, he endured severe physical abuse and neglect, and he kind of had to just like take care of his siblings. They often went without food and proper clothing and stuff. But luckily, when Travis was 10, he was rescued from this terrible living situation by his grandparents. And he and his siblings went to go live with his grandparents. And his grandparents were devout Mormons. Dun, dun, dun. Where, sorry, I have to jump in. Where is this set? This is in California. Um, I can't remember what what city, though. But he grew up in California. Okay, that's good enough for me. The whole state is the same for me. <laughs> right? Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, I can already hear people yelling at us. Oh, my God, my God. <laughs> we're not all the same. Okay, continue. But. We're not all the same. Okay, so, yeah, they were devout Mormons living in um, California, and he, they were very involved in the church. And so Travis was 10. He got introduced to the religion and was almost immediately baptized. He grew up really involved in the church, and it was kind of like, you know, I think coming from a situation where he was so abused, then to, it was probably very comforting, like, having this religion and people who were stable and stuff, um, so he, like, really embraced it, and he uh, went on a mission after he graduated high school. He served an honorable full-time mission in Denver, Colorado. Denver. Have you ever <laughs> been to Denver? I have driven through Denver, and I have stayed in probably one of the most dodgy motels of my life <laughs> in Denver because I had to drive my Jeep back from Utah to Georgia. Um, anyway, so that's all I really remember, and that it was hectic driving in Colorado. You know, I've um, I've ne- I haven't been to Denver as an ex Mormon, and I really want to. Like, I've heard it's, it's a really so cool fun. city. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he served a mission in Denver, and then he returned home to California, finished his mission, and he moved into a house with other Mormon dude roommates, and he set out on his next calling in life, which is, as you know, finding the perfect Mormon wife, you know, his EC, as you do. His, his internal, eternal companion. Oh, that's, oh, EC. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, he was ready to settle down, obviously, because that's what they tell you during the mission. Like, when you're done here, you need to get a wife and have a family. Um, But none of the women that he dated soon after returning home were, quote unquote, marriage material for him. Um, His friends said that he he felt like he had a lot to offer women. Like, I think he held himself pretty high in regards of, like, looks. And he wanted someone who he could consider quote arm candy ew so, let me guess he's white oh he's like the whitest okay yeah. that's what i thought so white mormon guy sounds sounds right all right yeah cool. so he wasn't finding that and he didn't like you know the perfect mormon wife so anyways he was just dating around let's fast forward to september of 2006 travis alexander at this point he's 29 and he's still not married But he, for a job, oh my God, it's so Mormon. He was high up in a company called Prepaid Legal, which is an MLM. Oh my God, (laughs) shocker. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah, so Prepaid Legal, it's now known as Legal Shield. And they, um, they like, quote unquote, sell 
like legal services for a startup fee and then a monthly fee, you make money in that company by recruiting people under you. So anyway, that's what he was doing. And he was like pretty high up in it because he had gotten in early. So in September of 2006, that's what he was doing as a job. And he went to Las Vegas for a convention for this multi-level marketing company, which sounds terrible to me, but whatever. Um, So anyways, and oh, and he was also like a motivational speaker for this company. (laughs) Yeah. And in his speeches and stuff, he gave a lot of credit of his success, like to God. And it was you know, where he was supposed to be in life because of his religion and his faith. It was very intertwined with the MLM. So at this conference, he met 26-year-old Jody Arias. Jody was new to the MLM. She worked mainly as a waitress, but she considered herself an aspiring businesswoman and a photographer. Um okay. She was obsessed with photography and she took photos of everything like and in 2006, it was very big to like take photos for MySpace. Remember that? (laughs) Oh, I do because I was at BYU in 2006 and I was killing it on MySpace. Oh, yeah. So She was very into into photography. But anyways, um, so this is where they met. And I should say that she uh, so. The conference was in Las Vegas, but Travis at this point in his life was living in Mesa, Arizona, which is very yeah. close to, yeah, <laughs> it's a suburb of Phoenix. He was living in Mesa and Jody was living in a town called Wairica, California, but they met in Vegas at this convention. Um, as soon as they met, they were immediately attracted to each other. Travis felt like she was this type of beautiful woman that he deserved (laughs) Um, she was like very conventionally attractive especially in the Mormon trophy wife way like she wasn't Mormon but she was thin and tan and platinum blonde so of course that's like (laughs) guys that is the best Mormon wifey you could ask for apparently um so sparks were flying they spent a lot of time together at the conference like getting to know each other and they exchanged phone numbers um and after the conference they quickly developed like this long distance relationship because Jody went back to California and Travis went back to Mesa but it didn't stop them from calling each other every single day and planning to meet on the weekends and like texting and really quickly like really starting to like each other so Travis's best friends were named they were a married couple named Chris and Skye Hughes and they lived about 70 miles away from where Jody lived in California and Travis was already planning to visit them so one weekend, soon after he met Jody, he invited her to like meet him there for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chaperone. the Hughes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so because the Hughes, uh, they were also devout Mormons, so like, yeah, it was kind of like this safe place to meet, right? So to abide by the law of chastity, Jody and Travis could stay there for the weekend, but they had separate rooms. Um, mm-hmm. But according to Jody. 
Travis snuck into her bedroom and performed oral sex on her that night. Oh, shit. I mean, I, that's nice. If yeah, she wanted it. Did. If yeah. she wanted it. Right. And then she reciprocated. That's her story. But for whatever reason, Sky Hughes refutes this, like, when it comes up later, saying Travis told her it was just a kiss. But either way. There <laughs> a was... kiss on which lips? I <laughs> know. Uh, I know. <laughs> either way, their relationship turned physical that night. Um so, but all of Travis's friends regarded him as like this super righteous Mormon and he was nearly 30 um, and he was an active priesthood holder in the elders quorum and everyone thought he was a virgin because he wasn't married, right? Like they were just like, oh yeah, he's obviously not doing anything sexual because he's not married yet, um, but he was with Jody. So anyways, mm. that was the secret. So they started going on lots of vacations together. Like they went to all these um, historical sites and like um, national parks. They went to the Mormon classic historical sites like Nauvoo and Palmyra, you know, <laughs> I know oh you've been God. <laughs> I've, I've been to Nauvoo. I have not been to Palmyra yet. Yeah. Um, and if they were unable to like, meet up and go on vacations together. They would exchange daily phone calls. And over the course of their relationship, they sent over 82,000 text messages back and forth, which blows my mind. That's so many texts. <laughs> how, how would they even know? Like, how, how do you count text messages? I, well, I think because we'll, you'll see later there's like court documents and oh, text see. messages were released. Oh, that's yeah. true, you guys. Just a little sidebar. Remember how back in the day when texting first came out, you had like a limited amount or oh, remember. If you had unlimited, you were like rich and the shit. Or but it was like, like 10 cents per text. Yeah. <laughs> and then also they would show up on your phone bill. Yep. Yep. You can mm -hmm. see what the text messages were, which blows my fucking mind because I don't. I send a text message maybe once a week because I'm on WhatsApp now. But anyway, it's like it's just crazy to me to think about how like, yeah, your your point being that 83,000 back then is fucking mental. It's a lot. Yeah, they must have had a good phone plan or something. I don't know. Yeah, for real. Um, so a couple of weeks into their relationship, Travis gave her a copy of the Book of Mormon. Oh, um, and <laughs> he wanted her to consider baptism, like joining the church, because that's the only way that their relationship could continue, because that's the only way that in his mind they could get married. Like he had to marry a Mormon woman. Um, mm -hmm. So he like was teaching her about it, gave her the book, blah, blah, blah. And but despite this, what he was teaching her about, like, oh, yeah, in my religion, you're supposed to wait to have sex till after marriage. They were still doing sexual stuff every time they met up. Um, Travis, Travis told Jody um, that according to, like, the Mormon law of chastity, they could do everything except vaginal sex, ah. <laughs> which reminded me. So much of BYU, right? Like, you can do everything but. <laughs> you can do everything, but the one hole is off limits. 
Yeah, the one that, and like the area that would feel good yeah. for a woman. Anyway, so at the same time, all of this was going down and whatever. Tra- Travis was telling Jody that he had never met anyone as ready as her to receive the gospel. Oh, so manipulative. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So November 2006, less than two months, two months after meeting Travis, 26-year-old Jody Arias is baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, good lord. Isn't that crazy? That's so fast. And guess who baptized her? Travis. Of course. And then according to Jody directly after the baptism when she was still in like her baptismal dress they went back to her house they went to her bedroom and travis coerced her into having anal sex oh my god no yeah so that's gross anyway (laughs) not anal sex isn't gross but no no just like coercion is gross yeah that's awful Yeah, over the next few months, their relationship became pretty rocky and filled with a lot of jealousy because they were still living in separate states. And Jody was getting really jealous if she found out if Travis was even around any other women. And she would like, she started threatening them over email. And if she was in person with a woman, she, there were many women that came forward and said, she would like corner them in a bathroom and say like, stay away from Travis. He's mine. Kind of. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they dated for a few months like that and it was really rocky. And then in, on June 29th, 2007, Travis broke up with Jody because she wasn't Mormon wife material because she was having sex with him outside of marriage. Oh, my God. Right? Oh. Like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> also, she was acting very jealous and possessive. There was that, too. But also, it was like he, it was almost like he was comparing her, yeah, to, like, chewed gum, even though he was the one chewing the gum. Which, I, you know, how many times have Katie and I shared story after story after story and listeners brought in their stories about the same shit where Mormon guys will take advantage of a Mormon girl and, like, make them feel guilty if they don't do something sexual mm-hmm. with them. And mm-hmm. then as soon as they do, then it's like, mm, yeah, it's been it's been fun, but, like, you know, you're not Mormon marriage material, so I'm going to dump you or just ghost you or never contact you again and right. make you feel guilty and tell you that it's their fault they committed the sin. Right, and I'm going to oh. go for a virgin because that's what the Mormon wife should be. Exactly. Um, but despite breaking up, they continued to, like, call each other and have phone sex and, like, send sexual text messages to each other and even still meet up occasionally on the weekend, like, to hook up, even though he broke up with her and treated her like shit, basically. Oh, man. Um, in these messages, okay, trigger warning, major trigger warning. I'm gonna, I'm going to tell you some of the things he said to her in like the texts and phone calls, and it's pretty bad. So just blanket trigger warning here. So uh, in these texts that were later released in court documents, he called her a variety of degrading things, like, like, well, this isn't that bad, but he said that she was his dirty little secret, 
mm-hmm. that she was a three hole wonder, which <gasps> what the hell? <laughs> Gross. Um, okay, get ready for this one. Um, in a recorded phone sex session, he said multiple times, you sound like a 12-year-old girl having her first orgasm. That's so hot. Ew. He, yeah, he said, um, I'm going to tie you to a tree and put it in your ass. Ew, I just hate saying this stuff, but I have to let you know how crazy these were. Um, in Gmail chats, he repeatedly said to her, at least you're good for one thing. You delight in being my whore. You're the ultimate slut in bed, and your main purpose in life is pleasing me in any way I desire. Wow. Yeah. And he even said things like, okay, this one's gross, but I'm just going to say it. You're pretty. You're so attractive. I've never seen you look bad in my life. There are times when you've looked miserable, and I've still, like, raped you. (gasps) Yeah. What? So there's tons of stuff like that. That's just a small sampling of things he would say to her. And um, if Jody tried to like, or if she was dating someone else and he found out, he would like call her a skank and a whore and a slut, but he didn't want to date her. He just typical. Would her sex. Yeah. So um, weeks later after like the, the breakup and um, even though they're broken up and have this super toxic quote-unquote friendship whatever the fuck they have Jody moves from California to Arizona to be closer to Travis what in the hell I know she she still loves him even though he treats her terribly and uses her um she just she wanted to be around him. Like she converted to Mormonism for him and wanted to like convince him that she was Mormon wife material. So she started cleaning his house for him. She, she lived down the street from him and would like clean his house for him. Oh my I just can't, God. I just fucking can't. I don't know. Um, this whole time they're still having a secret sex relationship that Travis denies to people publicly. Um, if he wouldn't let her in the house, like if she wanted to come over and he wouldn't let her, she would sneak into his house through the doggy door. <laughs> what in the fuck? And also how tiny was she? Because I wouldn't she even was be able to fit really, an ass leg in there. Like, she was what? really tiny. Like she, I think she weighed like 110 pounds. She was really little. Oh, man. Um, Not that that's it, bad. I'm just saying like I'm, I'm imagining myself <laughs> crawling through a doggy door. I know. Um <laughs> And she still would get really, really jealous if she saw him with another girl. And she would, like, lurk around his yard and, like, hide in his bushes and stuff and watch him coming and going from dates. Um, it was like really unhealthy. Thing I've ever heard. Really toxic, really creepy, all of that. Um, so Jody eventually moved back to California in the spring of 2008 because her roommate got married and she couldn't afford the rent by herself in Mesa. So she moved um, back in with her parents in California. So soon after Jody leaves Mesa, Travis starts dating a good Molly Mormon girl. Uh-huh. Uh, Jody finds out about it and becomes furious. 
she, from California even, she's super jealous. She sends threatening emails to the girl being like, stay away from him. And she travels to Mesa and slashes his tires. Fuck. She hacks into his voicemail, his Facebook, his MySpace, his bank accounts, and his email accounts. Damn, girl's got skills, though. How do you even do all that? I don't know, but she scares me. Wow. Um, <laughs> all right, so all that is going on, and Travis is dating this new girl. I believe her name is Mimi. And uh, I mean, I'm not even surprised. All right. <laughs> and he was planning on going on a work trip with his MLM uh-uh. to, <laughs> to Cancun. And uh, he had invited Mimi to go with him. And she had agreed, you know, like in separate rooms and stuff. And so she was preparing to like go with him. This was in June. And uh, she hadn't heard from him in like over a week. And she was kind of confused because they were supposed to be leaving the next day. And she like would call him and text him and no answers. And so she was like concerned or wondered if he was mad at her or something. So she went over to his house and knocked on his door and there was no answer. So she called some of their mutual friends over to help her try to like find Travis or get in the house somehow. And they were looking through the windows and they saw Travis's dog in the house. And so they're like, he's here. Like his dog is here. Um, but where is he? And they finally got a hold of another friend who had the garage code the garage door code. So they got in. Um, immediately when they walked into the house, they were overwhelmed by a super strong smell. Oh, God. And they were like, well, maybe the dog went to the bathroom. I don't know. Like, what is this smell? They entered the house and they went to Travis's bedroom and tried to open the door, but it was locked. So they w- walked down the hall and knocked on his roommate's door And his roommate came to the door and was like, oh, sorry, I was watching TV. I didn't hear you guys not ringing the doorbell and stuff. And they were like, what? And they were like, do you smell that? And he was like, yeah, I just, I don't know. That might be like, you know, dirty dishes, dirty socks. I don't know. And they're like, well, have you seen Travis? And he's like, no, I thought he went to Cancun. And they were like, no, we're supposed to be going tomorrow. And we haven't heard from him in like five days. (gasps) and he was like oh weird and so he the roommate goes and finds a spare key to get into Travis's bedroom because Travis lived in the master bedroom and uh so he opens the door unlocks the door they walk in and there's blood everywhere oh my god all over everything and it's particularly pooled near the master bathroom there was blood on the sink on the mirror on the walls on the window blinds on the ceiling it looked like like a slasher movie they followed the trail of blood and discovered to their horror they found travis's dead body crumpled in the shower (gasps) yeah uh and they immediately called 911. So I have a clip of the 911 call I'm going to play. If you don't like 911 calls, skip ahead. But here we go. What's going on? Um, our friend of ours is 
shot in the forehead with a 25 caliber gun. He had also been stabbed with a knife 27 times. His throat was cut from ear to ear and he was nearly decapitated. There were no weapons at the scene, but there was a bullet casing. So that's how they knew it was a 25 caliber gun. And authorities later found a hair in the bathroom that wasn't his and a bloody palm print that wasn't his. And they also found Travis's bed sheets and a waterlogged camera, like a digital camera that was thrown in the washing machine. So the camera was ruined, but the SD card in the camera was not ruined. So, um, yeah. Pretty crazy. So I'm going, so that was on June 9th that he was discovered. So let's go back five days to June 4th, 2000. Oh the day after my birthday. <laughs> yep. <gasps> okay, June 4th, Travis is still alive. Jody Arias decides she wants to take a road trip from uh, Wairika, California, where she's living, to Salt Lake City, Utah, where she's planning on meeting up with her new love interest, a man named Ryan Burns, who is also a Mormon and also in the same MLM as her. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Um, for this road trip, she rented a car, even though she owned one. She. Yeah, she also borrowed gas cans from a friend and filled them up with gas instead of choosing to stop and fill her car up with gas at gas stations. Odd. Okay. She also dyed her platinum blonde hair brown, which she had never done before. Okay. And when she... I'm just going to say that every time. Okay. Okay. When she arrives in Salt Lake, Ryan Burns said that she seemed normal except for the fact she was super late like almost a whole day late and she had some cuts on her hands and she told Ryan that she was late because she got on the wrong highway she got turned around and then she got tired so she slept in her car okay (laughs) okay so on June 9th when Travis's body is discovered Jody heard about it from a friend and she contacted the police in Mesa offering to help because I guess, I don't know, she considers herself Travis's friend or girlfriend or whatever the fuck. <laughs> okay. So 
the police are immediately suspicious of Jody because they've heard from all of Travis's friends that she was stalking him, slashing his tires, hacking into his accounts, etc. So they investigate her and this is what they discover. Police learned that on May 28, 2008, a 25 caliber gun is reported stolen from the home of Jody's grandparents where she had been staying. That's the same caliber of a gun that killed Travis. On June 4th, Jody did, in fact, leave on a road trip, but she didn't go straight from California to Salt Lake. She took a detour to Arizona to visit Travis. Mm. Before she entered, like, before she crossed Arizona state lines, she turned off her phone so it couldn't be tracked. She arrived at Travis's house at 3 a.m. and broke in, probably through the doggy door. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, my God. She woke him up and he was surprised to see her. And even though he, like, basically hated her and treated her like crap, apparently he couldn't resist having sex with her. So they had sex. And then they took extremely provocative, super raunchy photos of each other with her digital camera. Um, we we know this because the photos were recovered from the SD card that was in the washing machine. Oh, so both SD and sunglasses survive a washing <laughs> machine. Sorry, guys, you, yeah, you would get that info joke if you were a Patreon. Yeah, if you want to you want, get that reference, go over to Patreon. <laughs> so, yeah, the photos were timestamped uh, and dated, so... Yeah, there was no, it was evidence that she had been there. They had taken photos like having sex and they were on the bed and they were naked. And it puts Jody in Mesa on the same day that Travis was killed. Um, but that's not all of the photos, though. So after they had sex and took naked photos of each other on the bed, Travis got up to shower Jody followed him into the bathroom and took photos of him showering. She she had the camera set to like a two-second timer. You know how they have those settings where mm-hmm. it's like every two seconds, take a picture. And they were all time-stamped exactly two seconds apart. And in these chilling photos, you see him showering. And then in the next photo, he's looking like directly at the camera, like really intense. And then in the next photo, he's crumpled on the shower floor. In the following photos, the camera's still taking it on like auto timer and it must have fallen on the ground or on the sink or something. But Jody, without realizing it, the camera's still taking auto timed photos and you see Travis's dead body in the hallway of the bathroom and then Jody, her lower half, dragging him back to the shower. Oh my God. Along with these photos, that is evidence, uh, police confirm that the hair in the bathroom is Jody's, and it is her bloody palm print on the wall, and there is her blood DNA mixed in with Travis's DNA. So, on July 9th, 2008, on Jody's 28th birthday, a grand jury indicts her on first-degree murder, and on July 25th, or July 15th, Jody's arrested. But she maintains, she's like, I wasn't even in Mesa. She, she's like, I I wasn't involved in that. Like, I loved him. I wasn't even there. She said, quote, I don't even hurt spiders. <laughs> what? 
she's she's cuckoo. She was so, so, so adamant that she was not there at all. Even though her timeline didn't add up, they have the photos of her, they have her blood, they have her hair, they have her prints. Um, and they're telling her this and she's like, no, it, it wasn't me. And then, um, they, you know, how in interrogation rooms, like different detectives will come in and out when she's in there alone, Sarah, it's so creepy. She's like, she like does headstands and then she starts singing Oh Holy Night in the creepiest oh. voice. Yeah, it's so creepy. You can find it on YouTube if you want, but it's it's so nice. Oh my god. So then a detective is like, Look, Jody, we know you're lying. We know this because we have photos of you. And shows he shows her the photos. And she this bitch goes, Well, <laughs> Those, you know, Photoshop's a thing. That could be Photoshopped. And he's like, no, you're not telling me the truth. You were there. And she's like, no, I wasn't. And he's like, well, okay, I'm booking you then because I'm not getting anything from you. I'm, you know, booking you in. You're going to take your mugshot. And she has the audacity to ask the detective for her purse because she wants to put her makeup on for her mugshot. Fucking white girls. (laughs) Right? She's. She's nuts out. Um, okay, so she keeps denying that she was involved until she realizes that they have literally her DNA there. So then she comes up with the story of what happened. She, I think she thought that she was just like super smart and charming and could get her way. But she, she finally admits, okay, like I was in Mesa, but I swear I didn't kill Travis. She tells police and various media media outlets that two masked intruders broke into Travis's house when they were in bed having sex. (laughs) They attacked her and killed Travis, and she claims that they let her go, but threatened to kill her entire family if she told anyone or called police. So... All right, bitch. Like, right. come on. According to her, she just left Travis to die in his house with these like masked intruders, and then just drove up immediately to Salt Lake to see her new love interest. Like, nothing happened. Exactly. Which is <laughs> <laughs> like, do to do. Everything's fine. Um. Um. Let's see. So, in a in a jailhouse interview with Inside Edition. Jody says, quote, no jury is going to convict me. God knows I'm innocent. Travis knows I'm innocent. I am innocent. No jury is going to convict me. And you can mark my words on that. <laughs> Bold faced lies. And, and she also the arrogance of it all. Like, I'm yeah. just. Yeah, I'm baffled. So she she ha- <laughs> she sticks to this story for two years. So August 2010, two years later, her trial still hadn't happened because, you know, it always takes a long time for those things to happen. But two years later, two years later, Jody changes her story about it. What happened? Oh, my God. She, of course she does. <laughs> she admits that she actually did kill Travis, but it was self-defense. She, her story now is that Travis got angry with her because she dropped the camera on the bathroom floor And she was afraid that he was going to kill her. So she ran to his closet, grabbed his gun and pointed it at him and accidentally shot him in the face. But there's no evidence that Travis ever owned a gun. Um, 
And it, it's also forensically proven that he was stabbed before he was shot. So that didn't add up. And uh, she also says that she, after she shot him, she blacked out and doesn't remember stabbing him. Oh. Um, then she says the next thing she remembers is dropping a bloody knife on the floor. So again, just another lie. Yeah. So what actually happened is as Jody was taking photos of him in the shower, she pulled a knife out from behind her back, stabbed him in the chest in the shower. Um, he struggled with her, but Jody managed to stab him 27 times, stabbed him to death. Um, yeah, forensic prove that he was stabbed to death before he was shot. And then she sawed through his throat and almost decapitated him. So like definition of overkill, right? Oh, so after she did all that, she washed the blood off of herself and changed her clothes. She noticed her hands were cut in a few places from the struggle with the knife. So she got some band-aids because, you know, got to take care of yourself. Then she stripped the sheets off of his bed, threw them in the washing machine with the camera, started the washing machine and drove away. She turned her phone back on when she was out of Arizona. And this is when she called uh, the guy she was going to see in Salt Lake and told him like, oh, sorry, I got lost and I took a nap, but I'm on my way. Um, and this bitch had the audacity to call Travis's phone and leave a message to make it look like she had no idea that he was dead in his bathroom. Wow. I have the, uh, I have the message she left if you want to hear that. And hopefully. Yes. Oh my God. Cause it's crazy. It's crazy. I know Leslie called you, so I already talked to her, so uh, you can call her back if you want, but it's not necessary. Um, my phone died, so I wasn't getting back to anybody. Um, and what else? Oh, and I drove 100 miles in the wrong direction. Over 100 miles, thank you very much. So, yeah, remember New Mexico? <clears throat> it was a lot like that. Only you weren't here to prevent me from going into the three digits, so fun, fun. Tell you all about that later. Um, also, we were talking about, <clears throat> when we were talking about your upcoming travels my way, I was looking at the May calendar, duh. So I'm all confused. Um, but Heather and I are going to see Othello on July 1st, and we would love for you to co- accompany us. Um, I don't know when Team Freedom's event is, though, but you know it's on the list, so we could do um, we could do Shakespeare, Crater Lake, and the coast. So if you make if you can make it, if not, we'll just do the coast and uh, Crater Lake. But let me know, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. End of message. Is that so crazy? Like she is a psycho. She does just she have killed him. Is she, is, she, is she like schizo or like multiple personalities? Because it honestly sounds like she's two or three different people. Like, does she think that she? All right, I'm jumping ahead, but no, this. You know, just... and honestly, a lot of people have asked that same question because if you watch her also in the interrogation room when she's by herself, she like talks to herself. And yeah, I think that she's like. Yeah, multiple I don't personalities know, or schizo. But and she did that knowing that he was dead. And yeah. Whoa. Um she also she took the knife and the gun with her and threw them into the Hoover Dam and they've never been found. So 
Finally, on, on February 4th, 2013, this was during her trial, Jody took the witness stand, which is pretty rare, you know, to have the defendant take the stand. The trial was a circus. And if you want to watch any of it, it's on YouTube. It's crazy. She testifies for 18 days, which is wild. And she tells jurors that um, Travis was physically and emotionally abusive. She claims that he was a pedophile also. Um, And then this is when they play the phone sex tape for the whole court. And it is like, it is crazy. I listened to a little bit of it and I don't know if I've ever been so uncomfortable. Like, and it's played in front of his family. And that's the one where he like, tells her that she sounds like a 12-year-old girl. It's, <gasps> it's really, really bad. And, um, yeah, this is where they share, like, the, all those sexual texts that he was sending her. That And so the defense was doing all they could do to slander Travis and make Jody's story of self-defense seem plausible. But, mm-hmm. you know, I here's the thing. I don't personally think that Travis was a good person. I I mean, I didn't know him, obviously, but he definitely was abusive to her. That doesn't mean that he deserved to die. And also, is stabbing someone 27 times self-defense? Like, yeah. And also, if you really did, like, kill him in self-defense and went overboard, why not call the police and explain what happened? It was like, no, you cleaned it up. And you premeditated it. Like, you filled up gas cans and rented a car and turned your phone off. Exactly. Like, it's definitely premeditated. Yes. Um, So, May 8th, 2013, the jury finally announces its verdict that Jodi Arias is guilty of first-degree murder. Um, She fights back tears and is kind of playing the victim as... Uh, Travis's family members hug each other. It was really sad for them, but they were glad that she was convicted, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, just a few minutes later, Jody tells Fox News, just like right out of the court, she goes to an, uh, yeah, an interviewer for Fox News and said that she would rather get the death penalty than spend the rest of her days behind bars because death is the ultimate freedom. God. Shit, that is some cold stuff right there. Yeah. But she soon actually changed her mind about the death penalty because of her Mormon faith, she said. She said she believed asking for the death penalty was similar to dying by suicide. And she believed that suicide wouldn't let you into the celestial kingdom. So she didn't want the death penalty. And she was was eventually sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And she's currently in Arizona State Prison. Um, And she's never expressed any type of real remorse for her actions. Wow. I mean, have they ever, like, talked about her mental health? I mean, not trying to, like, you know, stigmatize or, like, be like, ah, like, all mental people who struggle with mental health or murders or, like, ruthless. But... It just, it really does, like, how casual she is about it all and from what mm-hmm. you've described. And even her that voicemail, like, there is no um, shakiness or nervousness or anything like that in that phone call. It's just, like, it's it, it sounds like she really does believe he's there. And, yeah. and when you watch her, 
when you watch her in her jailhouse interviews, when she's like, God knows I'm innocent. Travis knows I'm innocent. She's so calm and eerie. It's, yeah. So I I watched a few documentaries and listened to a few other podcasts and read a bunch of articles preparing for this. And a lot of people do speculate that there was something happening with her uh, mentally. Um, so, but the only reason I didn't put that in here is because I, I like you said, I didn't want to stigmatize and I didn't know what it was that she might have mm. been suffering from, but it, exactly. I think it's very likely, you know? Wow. Um, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it, wow. It, it's I have a question for you at the end yeah. of this. Do you think, like, wh- I mean, first of all, what are your thoughts on it? But also, do you think things would have been different if Travis wasn't Mormon and, like, kind of, living this double life with all this guilt around sex and like keeping her as his dirty little secret. Like I know she was not well and she was definitely, you know, a scary person and a very jealous and whatever person and none of, he didn't, he didn't deserve to die for sure. But like part of me was like, I wonder if he just could have embraced his sexuality and like, not been so weird about it if maybe it wouldn't have sent her into such a rage but also you never know so anyways I just wanted to know your thoughts on that yeah I mean I I agree completely like of course I think a huge element of what happened and you know unfortunately the death of Travis and how he was murdered it was very brutal and just a horrible horrible thing and I think a lot of it has to do with you know, this possibility that she just wasn't in a good mental place and needed help that maybe wasn't recognized or um, she, anyways, I think that's a huge part. But I think another of it is that just what maybe triggered that side of, of her situation or instability or what drove her to that point, that breaking point is how Travis treated her, making her feel a certain way. And I think it's because of his own guilt. Right. And how he dealt with sexuality, that he had these feelings. He, it was a part of him, like a natural part of him that right or wrong, like, you know, I'm not saying the things that he said in those sex tapes, or I'm sure he didn't treat her um, as he should. And even the comment about rape that he made, if that's a true allegation and that really happened, that's horrendous. And that can't be placed on anything other than him, just not right. a nice person um, or a decent human being. But I, yeah, I think it's this idea of like sexual um, oppression, like not able to really explore certain parts of your sexuality, which leads him to feeling guilty, but then he wants to do it. But mm-hmm. then there's another person involved who he converted to this mm-hmm. Mormon church, which the first thing I thought of was how many times do you see missionaries targeting people who, and I will be the first to say that I would always be like, Oh, the missionaries go after really weird people. They always bring in like weird people to the church. And I don't, I think that was wrong of me to say weird. I think the correct word is maybe they're different. They're abnormal. Like I, you know, we're all weirdos, but I think (laughs) the distinguishing factor is that they're vulnerable vulnerable that's what I was gonna say too Mm -hmm. exactly and that's like missionaries will target vulnerable people because they're easier to convert and manipulate 
and she seems to be very vulnerable and in a state which maybe she was already on the edge of whatever condition she had and met him, um, latched on to this belief, latched on to him, changed her entire life. And then Mm -hmm. when he just rejected her, it was something that she couldn't handle. Yeah. Um, I think that's totally spot on. And yeah. And I think if they maybe had just a normal education or if he had a normal outlet and a view of healthy sex, I, I just wonder, you know, you can't help but wonder, although you never know what would have happened, but you can't help but wonder if some of this could have been prevented with some therapy and education and medical help possibly for Jody. you know? Yeah, so. no, I agree completely. I mean, obviously, we, we don't know. We're not doctors <laughs> yeah. or scientists or forensic experts, but I mean, from, I agree completely. I think if maybe, you know, that wouldn't have prevented Jody from making horrible, heinous crimes in the future or um, Travis, you know, taking advantage of other women in the future. But I think this particular situation and the unfortunate murder of Travis could have been prevented if things were different in the way that they believed and how it affected their, both of their mental health and association with sexuality and um, like, yeah. Yeah. And not having to, to hide their sexuality because of their religion and having that fester and and be toxic with each other because of the religious shame. Yep. And I also wonder, I would be curious too, to see if like, if Mormons do know about this case, And Mm -hmm. if I guarantee, I mean, I could be wrong, but I am like pretty certain that if Mormons know, like active Mormons know this story, I bet you they'll try to blame it on maybe him having a porn addiction. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, what's interesting. I was reading about that, that um, they searched his computer and stuff for for porn because of her allegations of him being a pedophile because she claimed she saw him watching um, child porn. And so they searched his computer and they didn't find any child porn, but they didn't find any porn. And so it was like kind of fishy because it was like, this is a 30 year old man that we know is sexual. He should, you know, pretty much everyone in the whole entire world would have some form of porn in their like, you know, history. Yeah. So they were like wondering if it somehow got like a hard clean out or something because they couldn't find anything, which was odd because there should have been something. Um, But yeah, I know. And I, I think that active Mormons, if they knew about this, wouldn't from the few that I saw and heard, like when I was watching documentaries is the Mormon people were very defensive of Travis, like not talking about all the bad stuff that he did to Jody, which like, yeah, he's the victim here. So I get that. But they don't like to admit that um, he was doing all of those like sexual and really kind of bad things to Jody, too. So it's an interesting dynamic of the Mormons that do know about this case. Wow. Anyway. Oh that's... my God, this is fascinating. And I'm just surprised. I, I never heard of this. And I was in Utah during this time, like at right. BYU. Yeah. Which I know. Um, it's 
pretty wild, pretty crazy stuff. But apparently, yeah, she's just living in in the prison and she's still singing creepy songs at talent shows and painting pictures and stuff. But, no way. I I want Netflix to do a docu series on this. Yeah, there's one on if you have Hulu, there's I a docu. Yeah, so search Jody Arias on Hulu and it'll come up. It's a three-part docu series that ID Discovery did. <gasps> okay, I'm going to watch this. This yeah. is mind-blowing. You'll love it. And then you'll get to see her and um and hear her speak in lots of different ways and you're going to you're going to be like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Okay, I'm going to do that then. Because I was just about to Google, like, what she looks like and what he looks like. But I'm going to wait until watching the documentary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, Um, thank you for letting me tell you this story. And thank thank you you for preparing and all the research. This was fascinating. I always get so excited. Like, today I was like, (gasps) today's episode I'm so excited about. Because I'm getting a little education. And I love it. Love it. Well, listeners, you all have a good week, and yeah, don't, please don't go kill anybody in the meantime. Yeah, please don't, and also don't allow anyone to treat you that way. Yes. Um, And yeah, don't fuck politeness, as not, uh, that's going to say our podcast name, as my favorite murder always says, which is a true statement. Actually, just a little sidebar. Getting on that conversation, talking. It's interesting to hear the differences between guys and girls on, like, listening to, to stories like this. Not in her situation, because usually it's the other way around. Uh-huh. Um, where if, if you know, guys listen to it, they're just like, why don't they just say no? Or just, like, go home? Or, you know, don't, don't help the person. And it's like, it's so crazy how you can witness and see that. It's just a different mindset that women are taught to say yes or, like, help or be mm-hmm. polite, where mm-hmm. it's not even a second. Like, if a man feels threatened, they're just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go. Like, I'm not going to be yeah. polite. Yeah. So, in the day, don't be polite, male or female, in these types of situations. Fuck politeness. <laughs> like, yep. Agreed. Um, <laughs> yeah. And other than that, everyone have a great weekend. Stay safe. Wear your mask in public because COVID is real and I'm saying it. So, and Black Lives Matter still today, in the past, in the future, always Black Lives Matter. So, um, again, if you guys can and are willing, um, which we hope you're willing, but if you're capable and in a good place to do so, like, please support um, local Black businesses and also Black Lives Matter um, in general or any way that you can share the word. Um, yeah, totally agree. All right. In the name of Emma Smith. Amen. Amen.